Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Ariane Barry, Mike Ludwig, Kyle Mersch, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 199. Yes, this is episode 199, which means next episode is episode 200, and we're going to be doing something special to celebrate our 200th episode. You can join us on Twitch at 8311cast on November 21st at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time for a live recording of the 8311cast with your hosts. Be there taking live Q&A stuff, and you can be there while we uh, record the episode, so please join us November 21st, that's next Monday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. It should be a good time. Yeah, this, this this will definitely be the first time we've ever done anything live for an audience. I think the closest we ever came was recording one uh, in San Antonio before the bowl game, right? Yeah, we had a bowl game preview down there for the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, where we were sitting in like the hotel lobby or something. It was in somebody's hotel room, but yeah. It was in, it was in our room. Was it really? I think it was literally Wyatt, Mike, Josh, and I. That was our room, right? I it think was literally so. 8311 cast on the road. 8311 South? Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure we called the 8311 Studios South. Yes. The, the uh, what was it? The La Quinta just off the Riverwalk in San yep. Antonio? The one that did not have elevator, or the one that only had elevators, no stairs. Yes, and it only had two elevators. It's terrible. Well, we did not have enough foresight to book that room in advance to uh, reprise that, so we're just gonna, we'll just do Twitch. Okay, that that's probably easier. It's probably easier bit. than getting all four of us in the same place. That'd be fun, though. Twitch.tv slash 8311cast. Next Monday, November 21st at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Be there, be square. To get us into this episode, uh, I want to do a quick pop quiz. Um, this is from Brett McMurphy, the man himself. Alabama has had 241 consecutive weeks ranked in the AP Top 25 throughout its existence. Number two is Georgia. Can you guess how many consecutive weeks they have been in the AP Top 25 poll without going over? Closest without going over gets their name read first in the intro. So, so how much was Alabama again? 241 consecutive weeks. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. 198. Here's again, Kyle. Dang it, Ariane, you go right over me again. Wait, what'd you say? 198. Oh, man. I said 45, yeah. What was yours, Mike? 41. Ariane is the closest without going over. Georgia has had 94 consecutive weeks in the AP Top 25, number two. Uh, number three, Ohio State at 42 weeks, Ole Miss at 27, Michigan at 26, and Utah at 17, tied with NC State, um, but NC State streak ended on Sunday when they dropped out of the AP Top 25 poll. Good job, guys. Ryan, you get your name read first. Do you know who doesn't have a uh, streak of uh, weeks in the Top 25? Iowa State? That, that would that would be the Iowa State Cyclones. Um, this week was, was more just like... Uh, just like most of the season. Um, the defense played great again, got two turnovers of their own, two interceptions, but the offense turned the ball over five times, 
plus two turnovers on downs, plus a missed field goal for the special teams. And all but one of those turnovers came in really bad spots too. The yardage for those turnovers were Oklahoma State's 36, borderline field goal range. Oklahoma State's 25, definitely field goal range. Iowa State's 20, which led directly to an Oklahoma State field goal. Oklahoma State's 24, definitely field goal range. And then one at midfield. Just turnovers in bad times that led to, um, yeah, that led to points for Oklahoma State or lack of points for Iowa State. But the, the defense did everything they could. Again, I think it was something like 13, 14 passes was all that Oklahoma State um, completed in the entire game um, we're talking about. Not just, uh, not just in part of it. The entire game, again, dominant for Iowa State um, in the past defense respect, like it's been all year. I, I don't know what else to say at this point. They didn't even convert a third down until the fourth quarter. They were like 0 for 14. Yeah, they had one big play, and then they had the field goal off the uh, field goal off the turnover. Yet they uh, managed to to win that game. I mean, Again, it's a movie we've seen before. We, we outgained There's them by a pretty sig- we outgained them by a pretty significant margin, like we've done with most teams all year. Yeah, there, there's not much else to say at this point. Not much else to say at this point for the Cyclones, but all you got, all you can do is move on to the next one, right? I will say Wyatt and I disagreed a little bit. We were talking after the game, and Wyatt was like, okay, yeah, now we can definitely fire Tom Manning. And I said, this game is probably the least out of the most recent games that I've seen that says we should. Like, we had big drops. We had big penalties at the end of the game. We just kept shooting ourselves at the, in the foot when we had a chance to win that whole fourth quarter. Like, yeah, our play calling wasn't great, but our, if we played the way we were supposed to play and we didn't make mistakes there, we win that game. Like, that one was on the players more than the coordinator, in my opinion. But the whole season has looked bad, so I have no problem firing him still. Yeah, that, that, there was a, a particular fourth down play that we ran that I... That was my kind of my snapping point. I, I was on the fence with Tom Manning up until that play specifically, and I was like, okay, this whole culmination of events throughout the season. Now, I'm not blaming the loss on Tom Manning, but I think that to me just cemented that I would not be sad if he was replaced. But yeah. I, I would say, after further reflection, we need a new offensive line coach more than anything. So if we keep Tom Manning, the- we have to make a coaching change somewhere in that offense. This offensive line was supposed to be one of the better ones um, for Iowa State, and it just hasn't materialized. Not even close. I assume that fourth down call you were talking about was the uh, the run on fourth and one from shotgun. Yeah, fr- from shotgun on fourth and short, where yeah. I thought we were just going to try to draw them off sides. That was awful. But, yeah, I was that. That was <laughs> I one. I was like, that. okay, we're done. That's that's it for me. I guess you could say it was a good misdirect. Like, no one will expect us to do this because it's a terrible idea. (laughs) So bad. Shut down for a loss on fourth and short. Yeah. I'm like, just sneak the ball. You can't snap in your center. Why not? No, we don't. Just look what happened to the Bills when you try to snap it under center when you're used to it. I guess. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We haven't got to the (laughs) NFL section yet. 
Well, yeah, I don't know. We'll, more on that later. But Kyle, do you have any magical insights for how our team can not suck? Not really. Something's broken, and we gotta fix it before next year. Uh, I, I don't. Would I be surprised if Tom Man- Tom Manning is let go at the end of the season? No. Would I be surprised if we keep him around for another season? No, probably not. But I think that what has happened this year is the player development on the offensive side of the football has not come to fruition and made any strides throughout the season. Typically, when you see a young roster and a good coaching staff, you see teams progressively get better throughout the season. We were left here saying on this podcast, looking like fools last week, thinking that the running game was, you know, hopefully trending upward and that the offensive line played well. And then you go and look at the very next week and see that West Virginia beat Oklahoma in Morgantown. And you're like, well, how did we not beat Oklahoma this season? Right. After we dominated West Virginia. And I just don't understand how you can regress that much in a single week with supposedly a good quality coaching staff. Am I hanging this on Matt Campbell? No, I'm not. But I'm hanging it on the position coaches here. What, like, what is our running backs coach doing? And, and how is our offensive line coach not... How have they not come up with a game plan that is suited to the players that they are sticking on the field week to week? Like, when does, when does the responsibility fall on those, those people, those coaches? rather than the kids, right? As Mike Gundy says, come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. That's well, he's right. Like in his 50s now, right? But like... But what is Matt Campbell supposed to do? Hey, guys, don't turn the ball over five times? I, I, I think yeah. they know that. He's not going to... It, it's not his job to say that. It's his job to get his coaches in line to say, guys, this game plan ain't working. We got to do something different. Because... I don't know. And it just seems like some of the players are unfocused. Are they checked out because the season hasn't gone how they were hoping to? Maybe, but it's on the coaching. It's on the coaching staff to, to have to reel them back in. If you're not checked into this game, almost a must win to go to a bowl game. Like you just don't care about the season or college football. This is a huge, it was a huge game for our bowl eligibility. Chances yeah. are we are not going to a bowl game now. If, if you can't get up and get excited for that game, then you're just not excited to play. Which I guess is fine, but then you know you just have to change your expectations and it's not a bowl team. Like, we don't have that edge to us, which, okay, I, I guess that's fine. I don't like that, but I don't know. If you can't get excited for this game and get up and play then you're just not, you don't have the competitive spirit, I don't think. Yeah, I, and I don't think it was, I guess I didn't watch any of the games, so I won't say for sure, but it doesn't seem like there was any lack of effort in this game that there was in previous games, right? Agreed. I only got to watch the fourth quarter because ESPN sucks and wouldn't load the game for most of the the, the day for me, so thank you to ESPN for that. Um, but uh, I agree, it's just, 
not great, not great execution on offense. Big surprise. I, I would say hats off to this defense, though. Yes, this, this defense literally held us in this game so much so that I, I don't know why did Spencer Sanders have to come in at the end of the game? Ariane, do you know? I wasn't able to watch the fourth quarter. Um, when so when I got the game to load was when he came back in. Uh, my understanding is just that their other quarterback was so garbage uh, that the he just came back son, in. The yes. coach's son, Gunner Correct. Gundy. Gunner Gundy. Yeah. He if your last just... name is Gundy, why are you naming your kid Gunner? Okay, why are you ever naming your kid Gunner? But then why is why is your dad openly like wearing a or like having a mullet? for most of his career on the <laughs> sideline at Oklahoma State. Like, there's a lot of questionable decisions. Say, the more than naming your kid family. Gunner is probably related. Right. That's, I wasn't concerned about the name as much as the name combination with the last name. Gunner Gundy? Yeah. Uh, I think and he just was playing awful. So they put Strider back in, and honestly, he looked pretty good. He, he didn't look bad. I don't know why they benched him. Wait, wasn't he hurt? I thought he was hurt. He was He was hurt. He wasn't 100%. He, he didn't look hurt, to be honest. Well, I, I think they notice. were giving him a... I thought that they, they probably thought that they were going to be able to win without him. It's a little offensive. You I guys mean, just they, got your... They, they your, were underdogs. I was going to say a bad word. You got your butts kicked by Kansas. So let's not get all up in our high horse... About that, I mean, yeah, but they're starting Gunner Gundy. <laughs> I, Gunner I Gundy. think that's worse than General Booty. Like, no, General Booty's the best. Oh man, let's move on. Let's just move on from college football. <laughs> We're just talking about General Booty. We got nothing to say. Just want to piggyback off Kyle. The defense was fantastic, but the special teams was actually very functional as well, which isn't something that I've seen in particular recently. We had a nice block, yeah, big punt, improvement, which funny enough happened at the exact same time as Iowa blocking a punt in their game. Uh, again, yeah, did you see that Wisconsin. video that somebody put on Twitter about that? It was like the exact same time, but we had both TVs going both games at the same time. It was like, and there was a fumble at the same time, and number two on both of our teams scored at the exact same yep. time. It's it, freaky. It was a really weird. That weird is day crazy. That. I will also shout say, out to the Matrix. Uh, the, the offense was terrible, but so were the announcers. Uh, my two least favorite college football announcers were doing this game. So. Yeah, the side effect to ESPN having so many channels is they have a bunch of just like D-rate announcers who are terrible. It's well, at least it's not as bad as some of the ESPN Plus crews. Let me say that. So yeah, I'm pretty be sure Beth Moens and Kirk Morrison were ESPN. Plus oh, crews. it was yeah. it was that that's yeah. the crew. It was I I was not able to watch any of the game. I listened to uh, a good chunk of it on the radio, but wasn't able to watch any of it. Yeah, they're they're also featured on espn plus okay then yes they were, were they the ones who did the west virginia game last yes, year yes that was oh, that was bad they were terrible at I, that it was game. so bad oh. and then beth also did like a volleyball a texas volleyball game um earlier as well and it was just, and she's such she's a done some some iowa state basketball games yeah. like women's games women's games it's, i remember yeah um so the but the last question i want to ask is so um, sort of two questions wrapped up into one that we can go around the room and say, is this team more disappointing than last year? And is this team more frustrating than last year? Does anybody want to start? Otherwise, I can, I can start if you guys need to think. I'll start. This team is not as disappointing as last year, but this team is more frustrating than last year. 
I totally agree that the bar was much lower and I feel like we still reached the bar for what's supposed to be or what we were going to call a rebuilding year at the beginning of the season. Um, but it's absolutely frustrating to see where that potential could have been. And we just never executed uh, to quite get on that, that trajectory of being a, a, a fu- highly functional team on, especially on offense. Yeah, I, I agree. They are not as disappointing as last year, but they are wildly more frustrating um, the fact that we have this defensive excellence just to wait for the offense to come in and squander that like every drive, you, you just feel bad for the guys. You don't see anything on the scoreboard to reflect that. So even though we have like one of the most elite, you know, sets of guys on one side of the ball in college football, like top probably 25 group of guys. It just doesn't reflect that on the scoreboard, and it doesn't reflect that in the win-loss column, which is definitely why it's so frustrating. I disagree with Wyatt that they've reached the bar. I think the bar was still higher than three and five or whatever we are now. Like, I, I expected a little more from them, but uh, yeah, definitely more disappointed last year, more frustrated this year. Yeah, I, I agree with all of you. Um... In some ways, last year was a little more frustrating just because of the expectations, um, even though um, there weren't nearly as many close losses. Um, but just the expectations of last year is what killed, what uh, made it frustrating. But I tend to agree with you that I was, I was more angry than frustrated watching last year's team. This year, it's just straight up frustrating. They're better than they're playing. Yeah, I feel like last year you felt frustration in the rear view. This year you like you feel frustration watching the game. You're just like, oh, can we just do it? Like, just win a game. You can do it, and you never do. Yeah. They always find a way to screw it up somehow. But anyway, okay. I think we're all in agreement there. I just wanted to ask because it was something that I was uh, considering um, after this game. So... Well, frustrations are high in the Cyclone football world. They're considerably lower in the Cyclone basketball world. Granted, it's still very early, but they are, uh, they are still, still low frustrations at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's, they played North Carolina A&T this week, right? And there's still not too much to learn from this team. These two games are more so... Um, competitive scrimmages i would say i'm not trying to undermine the the level of competition but the level of competition just isn't there um so far through these first two games of the season for iowa state the the one thing that has been a unique trend between both games thus far in the season is gabe kalsher coming off the bench um it is something that is quite interesting, him being a starter for the bulk majority, if not the entire season last year uh, for this team, and him being the senior leader of this team. Uh, it's interesting that he has not earned the starting role, and rather Caleb Grill and Tamin Lipsy are getting those minutes. Now, Gabe Kalsher still had 29 minutes off the bench, which outpaced uh lipsy and grill um in this game but it needless to say still like what what what's the reasoning here and and none of us have been able to find any explanation or re- reasoning outside from tj so far this season as to 
why that change. It's interesting because we haven't, like you could say maybe they're saving him for minutes, but he's pacing our team in minutes. He led the first game and he tied for the lead in the second game. Uh, you almost have to think that he it's voluntary, right? I doubt he did anything to demote himself. Voluntary for what, though? Caleb Grill to go out and A shoot one of six from three? I guess I don't know. Are we I, trying to boost our points off the bench? He wants to like, get sixth man of the year award. Do we have that in college? I don't know, but they were talking about it. I just remember in the NCAA tournament, they were talking about it all that time with that LSU guy who was the, like the SEC sixth man of the year. And it's like he's leading the team in minutes. He's not a sixth man. <laughs> the old Manu Ginobili. Yeah, just because you bring him off the bench two minutes into the game doesn't mean he's the sixth man. But, I mean, overall, the defense has been impressive. Again, you don't really know the quality of these teams. It's probably not good. But the defense has been impressive. Um, they are, and the offense has been more – they've looked better to this point in the year than last year's offense did. That's for sure. Yeah, we, another thing we have no information about, we have not seen hide nor hair of Trey King in either of these games. And I do not know why. He sat out all last year after transferring. We would have assumed we would see him here. Uh, we have not seen him. And I haven't found any media talking about why he has not played in the first two games. So I'm very curious about that as well. Literally the latest buzz on him right now is his commitment to Iowa State. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's very interesting. But something else to keep an eye on. Uh, but the the highlight of this game was Jazz Koontz. He led the team 17 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, efficient from the field, 6 of 9, 3 of 3 from free throw line, 2 of 4 from 3, 2 steals. 5 of his 10 rebounds were on the gl- offensive glass, too. Really getting after it there. Osinuni, however you pronounce it, uh, 16 points. Four rebounds, two assists from him. Also very efficient. He was one for one from three. Uh, Caleb Grill, abysmal one for six from three. That's what we'll say there. Uh, Jaron Holmes had all 13 of his points in the second half for this team, although he did not shoot very well from the field. To mean Lipsy did shoot better. Uh, four of six from the field, two of two from the foul line, 10 points, four rebounds, three assists, but two steals with two turnovers, though. Um, Kalsher, after having a decent shooting performance in his first game, was back to the frustrating game that we saw most of the season last year, where he was 3 of 10 from the field and 1 of 5 from 3. Um, some trends of like of the season so far for this Iowa State team. Defense, obviously, is going to be a big uh, thing that follows this team. That's going to be the energy energizer for this team, and it's going to really be their calling card. They forced 18 turnovers in this game. Uh, Opponents are averaging 23 turnovers a game so far this season. The other thing to note there is they are turning those turnovers into points. Uh, 23 points off of turnovers uh, in this game against North Carolina A&T, whereas uh, against IUPUI, they had 31 points off of uh, 28 turnovers. So... They're getting turnovers, they're running out, and they're getting um, some easy baskets, and that's going to help their cause in Big 12 play or against much tougher opponents. So that we will see. Uh, As for tougher opponents, uh, you're not going to get a dose of that this week. 
They do play on Sunday, November 20th, a home game against Milwaukee. Uh, and this game probably is going to go Iowa State's way easily. Um, but I don't have too much information on Milwaukee. It's another one of those early season games where you're probably not going to learn too much. So yeah, but good chance to go is... 3-0. and Milwaukee is currently number 329 in the nation, according to Ken Palm. So you're right, another likely win. Yeah, couple couple things that I noticed during these first couple games. Like you said, we had 23 points off turnovers. Uh, this was a complaint that we had last year of the team. We turned the ball, we got turnovers, and we never converted on the fast break. So good to see that. And in that last game, we also had 20 po- 20 second chance points. If we can convert that many turnover points and second chance points, that is exceptional for an offense that struggles. And that's how we make up for that lack of uh, offensive efficiency, which we're already seeing this year in our like, I think we're shooting 30% on the year from three point, which is not good. Um, One other notice that I saw. Um, our average years of experience on our roster is really high. We have a lot of seniors. It's 3.25 years on average, which is eighth in the country. The D1 average is 1.88 years of experience. We have like eight or nine seniors out of our 13 guys on the roster. So that could be good. We could have a lot of mature guys who have seen a lot, or it could be bad as we don't do that well this year and then lose everyone from the team. So something to keep an eye on. Um, Definitely interesting, but I did not realize that our team was that old. With what, the number six or seven recruiting class coming in? Yeah, definitely a benefit. It's going to be a very different team next year, but it's probably going to be a better team next year, you'd figure? I'm a big fan of consistency. Yeah. I would hope I would hope next year's team would be better, right? Uh, I think we would all echo that we are big fans of consistency, hence the number of times we talked about how frustrating it was to watch Gabe Kalsher play basketball last year. Um, but And then hoped he would come back this year. <laughs> right. Like, we were saying, yeah, this team's not going to be very good without Gabe Kalsher, and yet... We probably recorded half of our episodes on basketball last year talking about how much we wanted to bang our head against a wall watching Gabe Kalsher play. Yeah. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Also, for having so many seniors on the team, it's weird to not know. Well, like, have any of them spent four years at Iowa State? I don't think so. Um, nope. No, I don't. No, think I don't so. think, I can't think of any off the top of my head. None not of them. Which is crazy. Transfer you, baby. Yeah, and it's working. Next year might be one and done you. We'll have to see how good these prospects are. Hey, you'll take that if you can get it. The yep. more top-end talent we can get, the better. Yep, mm-hmm. agreed, agreed. Any other thoughts on cycle basketball? No, that is it. Nope. I mean, not too many games for for Iowa State basketball this week, but... The NFL did feature, quite possibly, the game of the year this weekend. Mike, I know you were, you were on the horn about this. What, walk, us, walk us through that game. As, as, as indicated um, in um, my thoughts from the previous uh, segment, I cannot wait to talk about um, this Vikings-Bills game. 
Um, we'll get into the details in a little bit, but this this has, to, in my opinion, this is the game of the year so far, and I'm not sure what's going to top it. So for those of you who did not watch the game, the Bills go up by 17 points, and they're up by 17 points late in the third quarter. Um, and then Dalvin Cook, late in the third quarter, runs for an 81-yard touchdown um, to put the Vikings within 10. They come all the way back. Um, the Vikings do. Um, they get down to the one-yard line, have it fourth and goal from the one, down by um, four points with less than a minute left. Kirk Cousins is stuffed on a quarterback sneak on the one-inch line, and uh, the Vikings do not score a touchdown. At this point, you figure the game is probably over, except as the reference, the Bills go under center, which is not something they do super often, and Josh Allen fumbles the snap, which is recovered by the Vikings in the end zone, which is a touchdown. I was thinking there was a safety potential there, um, which would have been, uh, again, fine with me. Um, but because they again would have given the Vikings two points and a chance, but the Vikings get that touchdown. They go up by three points with 41 seconds left, but Josh Allen managed to lead the bills down into field goal range and they kick a game tying field goal. There was some controversy on that. And we'll get to that in a second, but then, uh, in overtime, the Vikings get the ball first drive down to inside the five, but have to settle for a field goal with, again, some controversy, which we'll talk about. Um, But then they pick off Josh Allen in the end zone um, to seal the win. Um, Just a crazy game. Win percentages were all over the chart. I was... I I can't even describe what I was feeling during that game. It was incredible. It's probably... There's a lot of people saying it was probably the best... um, regular season game in Vikings history. That's, that's the kind of uh, game it was. And it also featured the catch of the year too. Um, if you guys haven't seen this video, you guys got to find this video. Aaron, can you tweet out, can you find this video and tweet it out at some point? Yeah. Um, so find it on our Twitter of the catch Justin Jefferson made. It was fourth down on that um touchdown drive that stalled out inside the one um justin jefferson makes makes a catch that i think was better than the the one-handed odell beckham jr catch what do you guys think was it better than that or not uh it's hard to say it's hard to say both of them are equally uh pieces of art in their own sense i would say Odell Beckham overcoming like the the whole the pass interference holding and reaching behind him, but Justin Jefferson literally taking an interception away from the right. defender with one hand. I don't know. It's hard. I I tend to just like give it to Odell because I feel like that's the first time we saw that kind of catch, and I have that nostalgia about it. But man, that Justin Jefferson catch is crazy. Yeah, it's it's at least in the same category for sure. Oh yeah, and it, and it came at such a huge moment, right? If he doesn't catch that ball, it's game over. Yeah, right. The Vikings don't have enough timeouts. Um, they just 
yeah, the, the Bills just take a couple knees and the game's over. It was a game-saving catch by Jefferson, who, in my opinion, is the best wide receiver in the league right now. He might be slightly biased, but I think he's the best, uh, best, best wide receiver in the league right now. I, I would have to probably argue that from that big playability, yes, but I think Cooper Cup is the best route-running receiver in the league right now that could be i have no complaint with either i think you could make a case for either of them and no one would be offended probably not yeah which is crazy to see that you might have two of the possibly best receivers potentially all time running right now and i wouldn't go that i I don't know if i'd go that far with either i'm saying that in the future they could be just based on their skill Justin Jefferson's pretty young. I'll I'll wait a little bit for that. Yeah, I agree with that one. But anyway, um, I want to get to the. Do we want to talk about the controversies in this game now, or do we want to talk about the rest of the slate and get back to it? What do you guys think? Nah, we'll talk about it now. Yeah, the rest of the slate in the NFL this week was boring. Other than this, okay. So there were two controversies in this game, um, two major ones at least. The first one came on the Bills last touchdown drive um oh sorry last field goal drive um there was a pass semi deep downfield like 20-ish yards maybe to um Gabe Davis for the Bills um where it was at the sideline um and he catches it and definitely gets feet in bounds but it looks like he was bobbling it and then the Bills hurry up to the line and snap it before um any review can happen now since this is in the final two minutes this review ha- would have had to come from the booth, right? So it's not like this is just uh, this was just uh, on the Vikings. You know, all Vikings got a challenge. No, the booth. Um, this was on the booth. The Vikings could not challenge it. Had the Vikings thrown the challenge flag, they would have been penalized 15 yards um, for a personal foul. So the booth has just got to if if it's anywhere close on the sideline in a play like that the booth should just radio down and the bills were hurrying up to the line in a situation where the clock was stopped because he went out of bounds. So it's like the replay booth just has to be like, Oh, Oh, they're hurrying up. There must be something to look at at this play. Let's stop and look at it. Like there is no, literally no harm to looking at that play. Um, and it was obvious and the league has since put out a, a, a thing saying, yep, uh, that, that was an incomplete pass. We screwed that up. We're going to look at it. Uh, it didn't come back to cost the Vikings. They ended up winning anyway, but that one was uh, very confusing. I don't know how that could happen. I'm not going to lie. I've been watching this Justin Jefferson catch since we talked about it, and the more I watch it, the more I'm like, maybe it is better than Odell, actually, to Just control he, he, when he, he comes looks, down. Right. And, right. So the Odell one, he sort of came, came and brought it into his body. Yeah, and but then he Jefferson, goes out of bounds. It's away right. from the body with one hand. He doesn't lose it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for that. That's crazy. It's an incredible catch. Yeah, it was it was incredible. That game might have been the best game by a wide receiver um, in Vikings history. Though the Randy Moss three touchdowns on three catches game might be better. If you're being discussed in the same breath as Randy Moss, though, you're doing something right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to the, the, the replay or lack thereof, right? What, 
Wyatt, do you know something about the replay booth that we don't as to why they might not have just whistled down automatically in, in that case? Like, w- were they waiting to look at it themselves before they whistled down? What could have happened? That would be my guess, right? If you're up in the booth, um, you're, I mean, you can see the field generally, but you also have screens. And as far as I know, the NFL has at least two people up there. Um, there's one actual booth official and then, you know, another guy as well. Uh, college does this. So I assume the NFL does at the bare minimum. Um, but if I'm up there, I would like to at least see that play on the monitor real quick before I radio down and say, hey, kill the play. Um, otherwise, I, I get your point where you start seeing the offense run up to the ball and it, in a stop clock situation might seem a little suspicious, but you got to have some sort of evidence to to stop the game to look at that. Especially the past couple of years when they're looking at TV viewership time and trying to shorten games by having fewer reviews. I, I don't know. Yeah, but no one was tuning away from that game if they had a review. Yeah, of course. Right? Not. Yeah. But anyway, so I can see it because they did. They came up really quick. But still, you've got to... You've got to radio down and stop that one, I think. Something, too, I, that I don't know is could one of the officials on the wings uh, radio up there and say, hey, this is my call, but seems sus. Um, I don't really know what the etiquette is there. Yeah, I that's actually, a good question. I, I actually don't, know don't even do know that. if there's communication between the booth official and the other officials besides the referee. Um, I'm not sure. But if that were me and I'm on the field in a situation where I'm 95% sure that was a catch and it's something important like that, I might still say, hey, maybe it wasn't. Or did another official see it uh, on the wing and say, hey, I don't know. Uh, I actually did not watch this play. Did, did both officials run in and make a catch signal? Do you know? I, I don't remember if it was both or just one. Usually if it's just one and the other guy didn't see anything at all, which happens on, on some of those deep deep passes like that. I mean... You gotta, you gotta make a call, right? The call eventually was wrong, as you know, but you have to have a call there. Yeah. So I maybe you can answer this one too. Can the referee, especially in a clock stop situation like that, can the referee just be like, wait, 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 to give the booth a chance to look at it, or can he just initiate a replay himself, or can he, or does he not have that power? I actually, don't know, and I don't know if there's any documentation out there on officiating mechanics for the NFL specifically um, that I can get my hands on anyway. So I, I don't know what the etiquette is there or what the mechanics would be. In my mind, I don't see why the referee couldn't kill the play, but he would need to know to kill it, right? If you're the if you're the white hat, um, your primary target on a pass play is the quarterback, and your eyes are on that quarterback until the ball's dead for the most part. So he's not going to know what happened downfield. The onus would be on another official, the, the calling or covering official for that catch, to write to the referee then to say, hey, I might be wrong. Like, I, I, it's, and something that happens that quick, is that really going to happen? Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I would wager that the referee I'm, I'm just trying to understand some of the mechanics. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other controversy was, so the Vikings had it first and goal um, from like the, the two, three, somewhere in that range in overtime. And what happens is... Um, the, the Bills, like, straight up just, just run a play with, with 12 guys on the field, and it ends up going for negative three yards. It wasn't one of the, oh, there was a guy jogging off, and he was close. To, no, they, they had 12 men in formation. The ball was snapped. They made the play with 12 guys. 
Um, again, so this would be challengeable inside of or outside of, of two minutes in overtime, right? You can challenge 12 men on the field. Even if it's not a close play, it's still challengeable. So again, is this something that we play blue should be looking at and they should have whistled down on this as well, right? Like if it's a challengeable play, the we play booth can also initialize a review. Am I correct, Wyatt? They can, yeah. It's and everything is reviewed under two minutes, right? By the by the booth. Or, or, like you yeah, can't or challenge. Just in, or any time or any time in overtime, which is when this was. So so even twelve men on the field, the booth could have radioed down and be like, ah, oh, take a look at that. There were twelve guys, right? They could, would they? Probably not. You got to keep in mind the booth is not what the sky judges in in the XFL, even though it it probably should be. Yeah. So there was that one too, which um, again gave the Bills a chance. None of this mattered in the end, but it was two high-profile officiating blunders um, in the game of the year um, so far. So hopefully it improves. that that's the hope is that it improves, but we'll see. So basically what happens is I believe it's the back judge um, collides with the Viking safety and turns what would have been an interception um, into a touchdown. So we, we've talked about this um, previously. So we all know that, um, you know, if you hit a referee, it's just play on. There's nothing about that. But mine is more about the officiating mechanic. Um, obviously, the official shouldn't be there. Um um, looking at the officiating mechanics, where should the official be in that position? Should he be more under that play? Should he be over the top of it? Um, what went wrong there? Okay, so what I like to do, I am a back judge, uh, first of all. And the main difference between a back judge at the high school or college level in the NFL is essentially where you start at the snap. Uh, so in college or high school, usually 20 yards behind the snap, which in the NFL is where the deep wings will be. So either the field judge or the side judge, they're usually 20 yards. And the back judge starts 30 yards behind the snap. Uh, Mechanics go for a back judge. Basically, your sole responsibility before the ball is snapped is to count the defense, make sure there is 11 or fewer men on the field, and then uh, keep an eye on the play clock. The play clock goes dead. Um, That's the back judge's responsibility to kill the play and issue uh, delay a game. As soon as the ball is snapped, uh, you're either going to have a run play or a pass play. And you usually read that just based off of pass block. So if you read pass block, immediately you key off the number two receiver, depending on the strength of the side. Follow that receiver until the ball is released by the quarterback. As soon as the ball is released by the quarterback, your focus is essentially where that ball is going to land to then rule on that catch. Um. In this case, it seems like the back judge was reading his key, I would assume, noticed the ball was snapped, looked up, saw it was going to land right where he was, and then he got trucked by the the safety. So um, personally, I like to offset. If I see a ball coming towards me, I'm going to offset into, um, if it's essentially being thrown down the field to my left, if I'm looking at the quarterback and the ball is going to my left, I'm going to offset to the right a little bit. So I can cover the whole play. Um, If it's coming straight down the middle, that's hard because essentially as a back judge, you should stay in between the uprights for most of what you're doing. So either he wasn't fast enough to get back behind the play, which is where I would prefer to be, um, or he didn't cut to the inside to to get 
coverage on that play from what it looks like to me. Does, does that follow? Any questions on that? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think I, I think one thing that I was going to mention in this, like rewatching this video, is that ultimately this this back judge, like he is older, right? I'm not going to insinuate anything, but he's older. And you also have to like think that these, these players that he's trying to cover are have elite speed. So he's got to make that insanely quick decision to move. And he picked a direction and it just so happened to be where 24 was. Right. We'll say to his credit, when he fell to the ground, his eyes were still on the play. If you watch, they, they, they he was, he was following that play to the very end. Yep. And, and he correctly calls touchdown. He officiates the rest of that play properly. He sees that there was no touch on the wide receiver, even though he was on the ground, and gives the correct touchdown call. So good referee, bad situation. I think it was just a, one of those unfortunate... You, you always talk about it. You want like one or two bad bounces in a game can change the, the course of a game. That's a bad... That's like what you see as a bad bounce, right? Yeah. And the thing is, the Vikings have been winning all year while being on the wrong side of those bad bounces. They were against Buffalo, they were against Washington, and they're still finding ways to win games. So it's good to see if you're a Vikings fan. Anyway, thank you for that mechanics um, info, Wyatt. That's not I felt like we were watching. Books, I so. felt like we were watching game tape there. Did anyone else feel that? It was like breaking it down. It was great. Yeah, I like it. it. Any mechanics questions? I got you. Uh, for what it's worth, I have been trucked one time as an official, not as a back judge though. I was working an umpire, which is in the um, defensive backfield, right? Uh, eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. Totally got trucked. Uh, that only happened to me once though. So what a crossing, like yeah. a crossing route. A short cross. I, I didn't. Decked. Yeah, I didn't see the kid coming off my uh, off to the right. He got me. How'd you feel about it? Um, and like I said, stuff happens. Uh, I don't usually play as umpire. I'm not a large guy. I usually, want a big guy, uh, and that just shuts stuff down. So, but it happens. Not a big deal. Got up. Keep keep going. Right. He nope. didn't pop the kid. He didn't hit the ground. Oh no no no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who Wyatt the athlete? <laughs> Primo athlete, apex. He would have gone pro if not for his love of computer engineering. In the 8311 cast. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here, Wyatt. You provide us with such great insights. Um, We're glad you decided to to stick with us. Of course. I just Uh, kissed away my NFL contract. It is what it is. Yeah. We appreciate the dedication. The dedication is appreciated. Um, we also have very dedic- a lot of dedication on this podcast to keeping track of our predictions and then holding ourselves accountable for it. And this week we have a short accountability session, but they all involve Kyle um, from our Write That Down Prediction segment. Early in the season, he predicted that Jaleel Brock would have at least seven games of 100-plus rushing yards. I don't think he's had a game of 100-plus rushing yards since you made that prediction. And there are no longer enough games for him to get to seven games with that. Um, so for that, you get a... Eh, eh, nah. 
Thank you, also, offensive line. Yeah. And, and him also, being hurt, I guess. Yeah, so. the injury made a difference. The offensive line made a difference. It was supposed to be that Hamilton would win in Brazil. You were close. His teammate I, won I in Brazil. the wrong Hamilton, driver. You did. Hamilton ended up finishing um, second behind George Russell, his teammate. Um, but either way, that doesn't count, and you get it. Nah. That's it for our accountability session this week. Um, so I'll start um, putting stuff back on the board. Um, if you remember in Mike's Stupid Rules last week, I talked about um, how there's no longer flopping warnings. It's just immediately a Class B technical. I'm going to predict the Cyclones would get one of those flopping technical fouls before the start of conference play. In, the non, in a non-conference game, they will get one. Are we going to have to watch the game in its entirety, or will I, that be shown I will be, somehow? I will be responsible for keeping track of this. Um, so if you all don't have to watch extra to see it, if you see it, of course, let me know. But I'll be responsible for looking for it in the case that it is not obvious. So is this a point of emphasis for the beginning of the season, have they said? I'm not 100% sure. It is a rule change, and I believe yeah. all rule changes at least get some emphasis. I just know they, they always overcall their points of emphasis at the beginning of the season. They do. And single. if it is one, we'll definitely get one. <laughs> I, say, I say it's probably... Really? I was going to say it probably happens in the tournament, in that uh, invitational tournament yeah, they play. For sure, it. if we get one, that's when we get one. It's probably going to be Robert Jones against North Carolina's oh, big man, whatever that big Gabe. man's name is. It'll be Gabe. Armando Baycott. Yes. No, no it's going to be it's Robert be Jones. Oh, is it going to be Jazz? I was it's going to be Jazz or Gabe. It's one of three. Jazz, Gabe, or... or uh, uh, I don't feel uh, like Jones flopped too much last year. Are you kidding me? What? He flopped like... All the Gabe, time. Gabe was like leading the nation in charges drawn and flop warnings. <laughs> it was once every once a game at least. I don't know. I'd think, say double. I think the I'd reason why I think the reason why Robert Jones wasn't leading was because all of his flops came be under the basket, so none of them counted. Yeah. Going to agree with you, Ariane. I'm going to say double as well. That's fine. Single is probably too agreed. Too too low. I believe that could happen, but also, you know, very I, I easily agree. could not happen. I, I agree. It's a coin flip, right? Yeah. We have uh, anything from Josh this week. Is he still alive? Uh, Josh is still alive. He is, uh, was very much a fan of what happened in that Packers game, um, getting them back on, and he is now bullish on the Packers. And he's going to say that they only lose at most two of their games for the rest of the year. Hmm. Only two losses for the Packers. Let me see. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, okay. six, seven, eight. They have oh. seven games left. Titans. Loss. Uh, Eagles. Loss. Eagles. Dolphins. Loss. Vikings. Bears. Win. Loss. Yeah. Rams. Bears, Lions. Win. Rams. Win. Dolphins. So I'm going to say that's not going to happen. Triple. I'm fine with the triple for this, I think. Same. That's fine. Yeah. Also, yeah. why is Lil Wayne a Packers fan? I, I just saw Lil Wayne why is he not? jersey. Because he's from New Orleans. Why isn't he a why, Saints fan? Why is, why is Drake a Raptors fan? 
Because he's from Canada? Yeah, he, he's from Toronto, ain't he? Yeah, he's Canadian. <laughs> Lil Wayne is from New Orleans. They have a football team there last time I looked. Right? Shouldn't you be a Saints fan hanging out eating crab legs with uh, Jameis Winston? Maybe he doesn't like crab legs. Maybe but Jameis like Winston famous. likes eating du- eating W's. Yeah, crab so, legs and W's. That's all he eats. Too bad he do- can't start to actually earn a W. But. Yeah, not a lot of W's to be had. Triple. <laughs> yeah, triple. <laughs> back, back to the task at hand here. Wyatt, what do you got? Uh, give me just a second. I'm trying to look to see like Lil Wayne moved somewhere. Like he was born in New Orleans, but like did he move somewhere? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he started rapping at like 13. He was like a kid when he made it. I don't think he moved to Green Bay, Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Nobody moves to Green no, Bay. Just nobody moves, moves to Green Bay on purpose. <laughs> I'm gonna predict that an, an ISU passer will finish the season with at least one long pass of 60 or more yards. So far, the longest pass this season was Hunter Decker's at 54 yards. Um, 60 or more. We haven't haven't had a season where we have not had 60 yards since 2014. 60-yard pass. I'm I'm very interested in why you hedged your bet to any ISU passer. Why You think there's a more likely chance that someone who's not Hunter Deckers does it before the end of the season? But it's possible, technically. It it doesn't really change my prediction. I don't think either of those would change the point value of that. But it would not. I just thought it was interesting. Um, Uh, Triple? We got two games left. Yeah, triple. Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's probably not going to be anything with a ton of AOEIs. It's going to be all yak. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, Noel across the middle who beats a safety and goes for a touchdown or something. Maybe actually catches the ball for once. Yeah, you got to catch the ball in order to get yak. Does he know that? Should uh, I tell him that? Maybe hit him up and ask, yeah. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll check that out. Thank you. Wyatt, if you, you're at a game recently, you yeah, could ask. I'll just shout it from the sideline. Jalen, yeah. catch the ball. <laughs> what do you got, Kyle? I have two. I am so good at predicting F1 stuff, so I'm going to throw something back on the board there. Mercedes will finish 1-2 this weekend and will surpass Ferrari for second in the Constructors' Championship. This will happen if Mercedes finishes 1-2 and Ferrari finishes worse than third and fifth. Uh... Ah, uh, prob- probably not. Maybe. Probably not. It's either a triple or a home run. What What are you thinking? Probably a home run That's... for the fact that Ferrari... There's two of them has... in there, and I could see a 3-4 or... I, I, I'm Home runs. Good. But are they getting a 1-2 uh, at a track that Red Bull's really good at? Probably not. Maybe. Oh, home run. Home run it is. What's that? Does Red Bull care anymore? They've got everything. Such, yeah, because so Charles Charles Leclerc and uh, Checo Perez are locked at two ninety a piece for second in the drivers' championship. Okay. Right, what's your other prediction? Uh, Denver Broncos will send Seattle a top eight pick in the twenty twenty three draft. And th- this is for the Russell Wilson trade. So for the record, the Correct. trade has already happened. It's just a matter of where the Broncos finish. Correct. Um, if we look at 538, 
do they give me like projected final record? No, yeah, they don't they do, do that anymore. No, they do. It's gone. I don't see it on my page. Well, wait, hold on. What does my page say? Standings. It's it's there on the side. Wait, no, it's not. Yeah. It's oh, gone. you have to. Oh, you have to choose your own results now. We're that late in the season. Which is a uh, nice feature, but I'd still like for them to tell me what uh right. What they what think their final record would be. Yeah, that's that's more useful than whatever I think. Uh so there are only I six think. teams with a worse record than them right now. Oh okay, so according to last week, their average simulated season, this is without the loss this week. The Broncos were projected to finish at seven and ten. Which would be according to five thirty eight one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve maybe thirteenth. Who the heck is projecting the Broncos to finish seven and ten? Well, what are their last games? Right, uh, Raiders. Okay, fair enough. Panthers, also fair bad enough. team. Ravens, Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams, Chiefs, Chargers. They could win four of those games and get to Maybe. seven wins. Maybe. You beat the Raiders, Panthers, Cardinals, Cardinals. Only one Cardinals. Two Chiefs. Oh. Oh, okay. Cardinals, Rams. Yeah, you could win those. I guess. Anyway, ESPN's FB, FPI has them finishing like 6-11. and 11, um, But it projects them with the sixth worst record. Um, so that'd be the sixth overall pick. But it could... They they definitely could fluctuate. So they're really bad. They are. I'm between a single or a double. I was leaning towards double just because I still don't think they're quite that bad. But double sounds good to me. Yeah, that's fine. Double it is. Yeah, I am. Uh, my first prediction. Uh, I've gotten off to a rough start in fantasy basketball, but I'm going to predict that I will have a winning record in our fantasy basketball league by the end of the regular season. Um, let me see. What, what are you at here? Let me look. Uh, what is it? Do we just finish week three? Week we just four. Week four. Week four. Yeah. I'm one and three. You're, You're one playing and three. me this week. And you have a lot of hurt players right now. I have a lot of hurt players. So you said you'd make the playoffs. So I thought was the prediction. No, no just, just a winning, winning record. Okay. What's your team name? Yeah, okay. Sexton and driving. Yes, I Sexton and driving. I've also dropped Colin Sexton since then. So if anybody has any good team names, let me know. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're one and three. Um, you are you're respectable sixth in the league in uh, mm-hmm. points four. It's respectable. It's not bad, especially when you see how many injuries oh. I have. Yeah, a lot of the... What, what's your schedule been like so far? Because uh, there are a lot of bad teams, so have you played all the good teams? or I don't remember, honestly. He's played Libby, Wyatt, my cousin, Nathan, so good team. But you only lost 9, 919 and 903. Not that bad. And then Victor. Victor, yeah. Scored a lot of points on me this week. So you, you've played two good teams, an average team, and a bad team so far. And I am an average team, apparently. <laughs> Despite what my record shows. Yeah, well, let's see. You're on the wrong side of luck right now. <laughs> As always. 
I'm probably double on this. What do you guys think? I, I'm unsure, so sure. therefore double. <laughs> yeah, sure. That seems yeah. fair. And I'm double following it up with the second prediction, which I had before Kyle had two predictions, so he copied me. Uh, I am going to predict that the Iowa State men's and women's basketball teams will both win 20 or more games. Triple? Are you, gonna, are you counting... Um, Tournament, big, are you counting Big 12 and NCAA tournament games in this 20 I do 20 not wins? count postseason. This is regular season. That makes, a, that makes a big difference. Triple. Yeah, do the men get to 20 wins? That's no, the question. probably not. Yeah, probably The women not. sure do. Agreed. The women, the women, sure. women better. Yeah, so you'd expect the women to. Do the men, do I see 20 wins on the men's schedule? I would be shocked. I I'd like a triple here. I mean, if you went 500 in conference play, that means you you have to win 11 non-conference games, which is is that 11 and 0 on our schedule? 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 we'll, 10, we'll 10 not counting the tournament. So you'd have to win two in the tournament. Right. We'll Ooh. play we'll play 12 non-conference games when it's all set max. Down. Yeah, we'll we'll play three games. Oh, right. in the, the losers' conference. I forgot. Sorry. Right. Well, and then we play Missouri in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. Oh, right. That's in the middle Ooh, of the good season. point. I forgot about so that thir- one. There'll be thirteen non-conference games, but again, at least five of those games are going to be against major conference teams. You've got Villanova. At least one other in the tournament is going to be against a big team, a big name team. You got St. John's, you got Iowa, Iowa, you got Missouri. Receiving votes. Yeah. And they're like number eight in Ken Palm right now, too. Yeah, it's early to use things like Ken Palm, but but I I get the point. I really really want to go through that tournament and beat Villanova, North Carolina, and then Michigan State. That would be so exciting. That would be fun. Do do what we did last year in the Thanksgiving tournament. Yeah, just dominate. That we mm-hmm. all kind of like low key missed. <laughs> I did not watch it. You're right. <laughs> I, I, was, I watched them. I watched those games. I was I dedicated. Not. I didn't do it intentionally with the first one. I was like, oh, Iowa State's playing. Oh, they're playing a good team. I'll turn it on. Oh, they're winning. Oh, go, go. And then I watched the rest of them because they kept winning. So, so probably, anyway. I, this is a. Triple? I like a triple here. I said triple. That was five my gut minutes reaction. ago. Kyle and I both said triple. <laughs> and then Ariana at the end it was literally like so home run, right? Yeah, I think triple is probably fine. I thought I could sneak that in there. Sorry, but it didn't work with three doubles, three triples, and a home run. That concludes our write that down prediction segment, which means yes, we are at the end of the episode episode 199 of the 8311 cast from now until next week's episode be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311cast on instagram and twitter as you always do but then also tune in to twitch.tv slash 8311cast on november 21st at 7 p.m central standard time to have a live viewing with your hosts or a live uh, recording rather uh for episode 200 signing off for the 8311cast we have your hosts kyle mersh mike ludwig Ariane barry and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!